Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. If you've got a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. And we'll get there in just a moment. Genesis 3. Dan Allender, author and counselor, shares the following story about his uh, experience when he was babysitting his granddaughter. Elsa is five, and my precocious granddaughter. We were sitting on the couch looking at two eagles soar in circles over an unexpected unsuspecting prey. We were both captivated, or so I thought. Instead, Elsa put her hand on my shoulder as if she were asking a stranger for the time. Papa, can I ask you something? Of course, honey. What do you want to ask? She replied, Papa, do you know that you have a very big nose? I was startled, not with the fact or even the question, but with the delicacy in which she asked. Yes, honey, I'm aware of that. She had a look of tender concern. Papa, does your nose ever make you sad? Her question did far more than startle me. It took my breath away. Elsa, I'm, I'm most willing to answer your question, but before I do so, I want to ask you where the question comes from. What compels you to wonder about how Papa feels about his large nose? Do you want me to go first, or do you want to answer Papa's question first? She pointed to me. I told Elsa about the day in second grade when at recess, a group of the most popular kids surrounded me and began chanting, Danny's nose is bigger than a hose. Danny's nose is bigger than a hose. I set the stage in describing the girls and the boys and how they linked hands and danced around me, singing the ditty with jubilant glee. Even as I told the story, I could feel something happen. My heart felt the tug to hide, to disappear. I didn't want to be me. I'm 65. And those haunting words still echo from 58 years ago. I'm still haunted by shame. I think if we were honest in this room today, many of us have wrestled with shame in our stories. And many times we carry that shame from our childhood years right up into adulthood. Others of us may have experienced something more recent, but no matter what we've done or what's been done to us, we're still haunted by shame and can't seem to shake it. If you're new with us, we're in a series called On the Same Page, and we're moving through the storyline of the Bible. And as we move from the introduction last week to the conflict this week, we're reminded the Bible isn't a story about someone else, it's about us. It's a story about us. Ever since Adam and Eve, we have all wrestled with sin and shame in our stories. 
And today we're going to see how God can uncover our shame and cover us with Christ. And so let's look at Genesis chapter 3. I want to read verses 7 to 13. This is the word of God. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So Genesis 3 is our story too. And here's how it plays out in our lives, kind of in three parts. Number one, deep down we all long for Eden. We all want to be naked and unashamed. Number two, but when we sin, we experience shame, and we spend our whole lives trying to cover it up. And then three, thankfully, in his kindness, God moves toward us and is ready to cover us in Jesus. And so that's Genesis 3. That's Adam and Eve's story, and it's our story too. So let's take the story in three parts. That first part, deep down, we all long for Eden, We all want to be naked and unashamed. Where am I getting that? Well, back in Genesis 2.25, it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, Now think about the placement of that verse. It's at the very end of the creation account. Why did God choose to end it that way? He could have said that the man and the woman were naked and happy or naked with no fear or no regrets. So why the emphasis on naked and unashamed? I think he's showing us what we're made for and why Genesis 3 is such a tragedy. I mean, this is what we all long for deep in our souls, to be naked and unashamed. And this nakedness goes beyond our physical bodies. It's a nakedness that goes to the core of our very being. I mean, can you imagine what this would have been like for Adam and Eve, to be, to be naked and unashamed? So what does that even mean? The word naked in the original language means to be exposed. So Adam and Eve were completely and utterly exposed, laid bare before God in every way. So this was total exposure. I mean, complete vulnerability, all of who they were before God and one another. They were fully seen, fully known, but felt no shame whatsoever. I mean, completely honest with nothing to hide. I mean, can you imagine that? No inhibitions. I mean, no reservations, no fear of rejection, no humiliation at all, but totally secure, completely safe, absolutely free. And not only that, they were fully loved. They were fully embraced, highly honored and accepted as image bearers of God, as we saw last week. So so fully known, fully loved, fully free, completely safe to be who God made them to be. Imagine this. They knew only peace, only love, only joy. 
in the relationship with God and each other. That's what Adam and Eve had, and that's what all of us want. That's what we long for. That's kind of relationships we long to have. I think that's why when we get a taste of it, when we get a glimpse of it, we only want more. Whether it's in our marriage or in family life or in church, we want more of that kind of life. It's like this innate desire within us to get back to Eden. We want to get back to Eden, to God himself, to be welcomed by him again with no shame. Just a quick application. Let's strive to be that here at Oak Hill Church, to be a safe place where you can come and be honest about who you are and be accepted for who you are to be loved right in that place of seeking and searching and struggling. We want to be that for each other. I read an article, I think it was a couple weeks ago. It's kind of a, in some ways, a morbid article, but in other ways, really enlightening. It was an article entitled Regrets of the Dying. So interviews with folks who were kind of on their deathbed and talking about their regrets in life. And more often than not, many of them would say, looking back, I wish I would have had the courage to be myself and to love people more. May we be a place where you have the courage to be yourself and to love and to be loved here at Oak Hill Church. And so deep down, we all long for Eden. We we do. We all long to get back to the garden. We all want Eden. We all want to be naked and unashamed. And yet... Secondly, when we sin, we experience shame, and we spend our whole lives trying to cover it up. Look at Genesis 3, 7, and 8 again. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden." So as we turn to chapter three, everything goes downhill pretty quickly. The word then in verse seven is a huge hinge point in the story. Then the eyes of both were opened. So this is the point where sin changes everything. Simply put, instead of trusting God, Adam and Eve tried to be God. They sinned. And notice, immediately after they sinned, they felt naked and afraid. The text says their eyes were open. So what does that mean? Well, for the first time, for the first time, they sensed something was horribly wrong. Up to this point, everything was right in their world, but now everything was horribly wrong. They knew they were naked. They knew they were exposed. They felt vulnerable before the eyes of God. In other words, they felt shame. And and so what is shame? What is shame? Here's a few definitions from some of the leading scholars and counselors on shame. By the way, I gleaned a lot of helpful insights from these folks as I prepared for this message. So Ed Welch says this about shame. Shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did something done to you, or something associated with you. You feel exposed and humiliated. Brene Brown says that shame is an intensely painful feeling that you are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Dan Allender, who I 
shared that story earlier, says that shame is simply the traumatic exposure of nakedness. Now, it's been well noted, some of you have heard this before, that shame is different than guilt. Whereas guilt is feeling bad for what you've done, shame is feeling bad about who you are. One author said it this way, guilt looks out at the damage you have done, but shame looks in the mirror and says, who are you that you could have done such a thing? And we mustn't forget that shame is often brought on not only by what you've done, but by what's been done to you. So, so many of us suffer in shame all our lives. Shame is something that happened in our past, whether it's abuse or neglect or disapproval or rejection. Our family of origin often plays a painful role in our stories of shame. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you here in this room, you, you carry Shame, childhood years, feeling like you, you could never measure up to mom and dad's expectations. No matter who you are or what you've experienced, shame is everywhere. Because of our sin, it lies in the depths of every human heart. And it's often first felt on one's face. In Psalm 44, verse 15, it says, All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. So shame has a way of, of altering our countenance. We feel it on our face. When you picture shame, then you picture someone with their, with their head hung low, weighted down all alone. This is how shame can make you feel. You feel different. You just don't feel like anybody gets you. You feel different. You can feel like a failure. Like, like I just can never get it right. Oftentimes you feel like a fake. Like you're fooling everybody. Like they don't even really know the real you. You feel rejected. Like, like you're just invisible to other people. And you feel violated. Like you're unacceptable to others. This is how shame can make you feel. Afraid to be even seen by others. And so, what do we do with our shame? Well, what did Adam and Eve do? Again, it says in Genesis 3, and the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So what did Adam and Eve do in their shame? Did they run back to God for help? No. They took matters into their own hands and they started sewing fig leaves together in an attempt to cover themselves up. And, and not just their bodies, their very souls. They felt exposed, like their insides were now dirty and exposed. And yet this wasn't working. They couldn't seem to cover up their nakedness and so they ran and they hid themselves among the trees of the garden. And that's what shame can do to you. It says, you better go and hide. You need to hide. So in just a short time, they've moved from being completely naked and with no shame at all to now hiding themselves and trying to cover it all up. And that's been our same self-protective strategy ever since. We do the same thing. We spend our entire lives sewing fig leaves together. It just looks a little more sophisticated. So how do we cover up shame? I want to give you just five ways we do this in our lives. Five ways that we try to cover up our shame. Number one, by doing good. 
by doing good. We think that by being a better person can, can make up for what we've done, right? We, uh, we think morality can be like fig leaves to cover over the shame. Like, like if we've had a string of, of good days, then God will forget about our sin and accept us again by doing good. Secondly, by being fake. We pretend we have it all together. We put up our best front to look good in the eyes of others so no one would see our true self. And guys, let's just admit that. We all do this. We do. We, we all can do this. You know why? We fear being exposed for who we really are. We don't want to be known. And we become pretty adept at hiding our true selves from people because we think they'll reject us. So how do we cover our shame? By doing good, by being fake. Thirdly, by hating ourselves. Hating ourselves. So, some of you, you don't need the accuser, Satan, to accuse you. You do a good enough job of it on your own. You're always berating yourself, beating yourself up. I'm such a loser, such a failure, I'm so ugly. Guys, shame can be a living hell on earth if we allow ourselves to wallow in it and dwell on it. So by doing good, by being fake, by hating ourselves, forth, by withdrawing, we, in our shame, can isolate ourselves from others. We just want to be alone. We don't want to be seen because we fear their response, the people's response. If we're alone, we, we never have to face feeling like a failure in front of others, and so it's just easier to hide. Shame has a way of silencing us. And then fifthly, by denial. We just try to ignore what we've done and just move on. Just convincing ourselves, you know, that it's not that big of a deal. I mean, nobody's perfect, right? So just deny it. Yet deep down, we know better. We'd, we'd like to come out of hiding. We're just scared. We're scared. And so these, these are all fig leaves. We try to cover our shame by doing good, by being fake, by hating ourselves, by withdrawing, and by denial. Sadly, some of us, we can spend our entire lives trying our best to cover up the shame to solve our sin problem, but it won't work. Eventually, it's going to be exposed. And when it is, just like Adam and Eve, we can feel threatened. And so we move, we move from, from covering to blaming. To blaming. Genesis 3, 11 to 13. God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, well, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you've done? The woman said, well, it's the serpent. He deceived me and I ate. And I think we can all see ourselves here, right? I mean, Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. And the serpent has no leg to stand on. I know, that's really bad. <laughs> when our sin is found out, when we feel exposed and confronted with our true broken sinful selves, we can have this flight or fight mentality. Flight, I'm going to run away and hide, or fight, I'm going to blame. Like Adam, we can deflect our shame on someone else. We just flip it right back. We can have this defensive posturing like this inner lawyer comes out. I'm going to defend myself. Wait a second. 
In other words, we blame. We can even belittle others to make ourselves feel better and less smaller in the moment. Is that true of you? Man, that's convicting for me. Wait, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling threatened here. Fight, flight, what do I do? We can blame, even belittle others to make ourselves feel better and less smaller in that moment. There's so much blame in our culture right now, right? More, more than ever, it's like this emotional contagion, right? Everyone wants to point the finger at others. No one's pointing it at their own chest. Why is that the case? Well, we want to uphold our image instead of owning up to what we've done, right? That's prevalent all throughout our culture right now. Let's be different as Christians. Let's be different in our marriages, in our friendships, in our relationships with others, at work, at at school, here at church. Let's don't raise a generation of blamers. Let's raise a generation of repenters. Every day we sin against others. So every day we have ample opportunities to say sorry and repent. Just a little parenthesis, mom and dad, this is one way you can lead in the home by being the lead repenters. If you think you're gonna betray an image like you've got everything all together and your kids gotta be like you all the time, wrong. We are sinners and we're helping our kids to see they're sinners and we both need Jesus. Daddy needs Jesus. I need Jesus just as much as you do, right? Mom and dad, we need the grace of the gospel just as much as our kids. So let's come with that humility, with that realization that we want to raise a generation of repenters. Adam and Eve could have run to God in their shame. They didn't. They repented. They, they didn't repent for what they had done. Instead, they ran from him and kept hiding and covering and blaming And yet I'm so glad that the story doesn't end there, right? It doesn't end there for Adam and Eve. It doesn't end there for us. So let's kind of review. First, deep down, we all long for Eden. We all want to be naked and unashamed. But when we sin, we experience shame, and we spend our entire lives trying to cover it up. And yet, thankfully, in his kindness, God moves toward us to cover us in Jesus. This is good news. This is really, really good news. So listen, listen. In our sin and shame, we have a God who doesn't look at us with disappointment or disgust. He doesn't ignore us. He doesn't turn his face away from us in frustration because of our failures. Well, he doesn't say, you've you've made your bed, now sleep in it. He doesn't shame us. No, we have a God who is surprisingly drawn to us in our shame. Can you believe it? He has this unique affection for us in our shame. So much so that he's willing to come after us in love to seek us out with compassion. And he starts by asking questions. In verses 9 to 11, we see him ask, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Who told you? Have you eaten? Now, it's been said before, he's not asking these questions because he's looking for more information. He's asking to help lead us to confession. And that's such a kindness from God. Such a grace. I mean, some of you he's been pursuing for a while now. I think he's asking you that first question. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? 
It's not because he doesn't know where you are physically, but because you don't know where you are spiritually. You're lost, aren't you? You're spiritually empty. You don't know where you are. You've been searching and hiding and covering. And he's come looking for you today. In his kindness, God is moving toward you. Don't take that for granted. Romans 2, 4 says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. You see, he's pursuing you. He's pursuing you in his kindness to lead you to repentance. But here's the kicker. You've gotta be willing to admit that you're naked. And all your attempts at at covering yourself up haven't worked. Guys, if we're honest, many of us are blind to our, our nakedness and suppress our sense of shame. We're like the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3, where it says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So listen to the tender words of Jesus in verse 18. He says to the church, I counsel you. So here Jesus is our counselor Here's what he does. He listens to your take on the situation, how you see yourself in your sin and in your shame. You say, I am rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. In other words, I'm fine. I'm okay. I don't need anything. And Jesus says, actually, you're poor. You are blind and you are naked. He's helping you to see yourself rightly today. He's peeling off the mask of your pride to show you your true self. He's exposing and uncovering who you really are. To be found naked in the ancient world was humiliating. It was a shameful thing. And Jesus says, I'm here to clothe you, to clothe your nakedness with white garments so that the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. It's essentially what he's doing here for Adam and Eve. He's wanting them to see their sin and their shame that it cannot be solved by a bunch of leaves. Can't cover it with their own efforts. It just won't work. They can't pretend it away. This problem can only be solved. Listen, this problem can only be solved by the shedding of blood. Shedding of blood. So at the end of chapter three, we see how God meets them in his mercy and provides for them robes made of animal skins to cover up their nakedness. And Genesis 3.21 says, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So these, these animal skins not only provided what they needed in order to function in this new world of sin, but pointed to the day when Jesus would solve their problem with sin and shame once and for all at the cross You see, when we look at Jesus' death on the cross, we see shame on display. I want you, in your mind's eye, to just picture Jesus there. No one else was shamed like Jesus. No one else experienced shame like he did. And he did it publicly for all to see. And he did it for you 
and me. So picture Jesus, his life, his death was marked by shame. He was misunderstood from day one. Poor, homeless, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was insulted, denied, betrayed by his closest friends. He was mocked at, spit upon, scourged till he could barely walk. His face was beaten, a crown of thorns pierced through his head and ridiculed as a wretched criminal. He was stripped naked in front of everyone, nailed to a bloody tree for all to see. And if that weren't enough, if that weren't enough, he was abandoned, totally rejected, forsaken by his father in heaven. Worst kind of shame at all. His father turned his face away. I don't want to even see you. Couldn't even look at him. Jesus identifies with you in your shame. He understands your shame. But not only that, he took your shame. He bore your shame, all of it all of your sin and all of your shame. Listen to Isaiah 53. He, Jesus, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus took all your sin and all your shame at the cross, all of it. He did this in order to forgive you and to free you because he loves you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Listen, it doesn't matter who you are this morning. It doesn't matter what you've done or what's been done to you. Jesus loves you more than you could ever imagine. So you don't have to hide. You don't have to cover up anymore. If you simply believe in him, if you place your trust in him, you can be covered in the clothing of Christ himself. You won't have to hide anymore because your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You're clothed now in his righteousness, clothed in his love, clothed with with honor. Some of you need to hear this this morning. He is not disappointed with you and putting up with you. He's not embarrassed by you. He accepts you, he loves you, and, and he crowns you with honor. He's not ashamed of you. He publicly acknowledges you as his brother and sister in front of everyone. Hebrews 2, 11 and 12 says, that is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. So listen, you can stop hanging your head in shame today. Lift it up, lift it up, and look into the eyes of your Savior who loves you. He welcomes you, accepts you, and he honors you. Psalm 3, 3 says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter, the lifter of my head. You don't have to wear shame on your face any longer. You can lift up your head and look at his eyes. They are full of love for you, so let him love you. I want to end with the ending of this story that I started off with. So back to Elsa. The day weaved play and rest, a 30-minute screen time, 
not approved by Elsa's mom, and more conversation. Toward the end of our time, Elsa came to sit in my lap, put her hand on my cheek, and looked into my eyes. Papa, kids on my playground make fun of me too. Sometimes. Not always. It was apparent there was nothing to be asked or pursued. She needed alignment, not interaction. And she saw my sad eyes that are also fierce and playful. I tickled her and she grabbed me tight and we began a wrestling game we called playing tiger. It didn't last long and she looked again in my eyes. This time she put her hand on my nose and said, Papa, I love your big nose. She slipped her arm around me and gave me a child's version of a bear hug. And that night, as I prayed before falling to sleep, I heard Jesus ask me, will you let me touch your nose? Will you let me bless your face like Elsa? So would you let Jesus touch you today in that most tender place where shame has laid dormant for far too long? Would you let him in his love and compassion come and touch you and love you? You can stop trying to cover up. It won't work. Let Jesus come in. Let him come in and cover your shame. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We praise you that he is pursuing us in his love and his kindness some of us here in this room, we have carried shame for far too long. It's made us feel afraid of others, made us feel forgotten, rejected, unacceptable. And Father, we thank you that you've come after us. You know our sin. You know our shame. And your son Jesus took all of it at the cross. He bore all of our shame at Calvary so we can be free. And I pray that we would live as free people today, looking away from ourselves, lifting up our head, knowing that you look at us with love and honor. You have cleansed us and clothed us with your righteousness. We are not dirty in your sight. We are clean, forgiven, free, and I pray that we might be people who are able to go and share the same love that you have first shown to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.